Hello, good morning. Uh, thank you all for coming. Thank you, both of you, for coming. <laughs> Welcome to the Capitol Hill Arts Workshop. This event, kicking off the first Capitol Art Book Fair, is a live recording of the Paper Cuts podcast. My name is Christopher Cardenbicus, and I am the co-host of Paper Cuts, along with Jennifer Willis, who's also operating as our producer. Paper Cuts is an exploration and documentation of the small press landscape. It's also an excuse for Jennifer and I to speak to artists and publishers about the books they make. Our format today will be fairly straightforward. In a moment, I will introduce our guests, all of whom are exhibiting books at Eastern Market this weekend at Capital Art Book Fair. And I have some questions for each publisher individually, followed by questions that are open to the panel. We'll keep up conversation for about 45 minutes or so, and I'll then leave time for any audience questions. Before we begin, um, I would like to thank Phil Hutenay uh, for all of his work organizing the Capital Art Book Fair and for really scrambling to make this event possible um, at the last minute. And thank you to the Capitol Hill Arts Workshop for being so accommodating in a tight time frame. Joining us for this recording are Rachma Soon of Late Comeback Press, Sam slash Strangelands, and Kate Fitzpatrick of the Mirror Society Quartet, and Chaz Wagner from the Print Party. Thank you all for joining me. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, thanks yeah. for having us. Uh, so quickly to just introduce the panel, uh, Late Comeback Press is a micropress based out in Northern Virginia and is run by three Asian American women. Late Comeback primarily focuses on mental health and representing Asian American culture in its most subtle, authentic light and detracts from the palatable or exotic as depicted in Western media. They build their zines intricately and by hand to represent the connection between their art, identities, and community as pieces of them to all of us, the audience. Strange Lens is a multidisciplinary artist who explores themes of dreams, the subconscious, and the internet pop culture in the digital dark ages. She graduated from George Mason University in 2021 with a master's degree in arts and visual technology. Kate Fitzpatrick is an artist and educator based in Alexandria, Virginia. Fitzpatrick received a BFA in painting from Clarion University in Pennsylvania, an MA in art education from the University of New Mexico, and an MFA in Visual Arts from George Mason University in 2020. She was awarded a Fulbright Fellowship in 2016, where she spent a semester in India working on art curriculum with local art teachers. Fitzpatrick is also an arts educator who was honored by the Northern Virginia Magazine as a Northern Virginian of the Year in 2014. I was really impressed when I read that <laughs> for her creation <laughs> and implementation of an art and yoga program for youth in the Northern Virginia Juvenile Detention Center. In addition, Fitzpatrick received the Agnes Meyer Teacher of the Year Award by the Washington Post in 2013. Fitzpatrick exhibits her work throughout the US and teaches for, teaches for Arlington Public Schools. Chaz Wagner is a curator and organizer of The Print Party, specializing in independent magazines. Sorry, I, I put a weird pause in there when it was supposed to be a period and not a comma. <laughs> specializing in independent magazines. Based in Pittsburgh, his focuses on his work focuses on social activations of the print periodical via retail pop-ups, bookshop lecture series, and the launching of a sports book festival, Bleed and Score, in Brooklyn. 
He thought about biking here on the 330 mile plus Great Allegheny <laughs> Passage Trail, but the rainy forecast and heftiness of the books dampened the prospects of this uh, dreamy ride. So once again, thank you all for, for joining us. Uh, Rachna, my first question goes to you. Oh, yay. Yeah. <laughs> I associate your work with Lake Comeback Press, often with graphic narratives or comics or poetry comics. And all three of these terms might not wholly fit the ways uh, you develop short, enigmatic, and visually open narratives. I also uh, associate the playful and inventive formats that you utilize with your work. The story being told is one thing, and the book, zine, or comic object that you craft to carry that story feels like such an integral part of how your work functions. How do you approach the physical development of your publications? I don't think that we have like a particular process um I think we just have things like that we want to try out and so if an idea comes along like the idea for a zine comes first we'll just see if it fits what we want to do and then just kind of go from there like our last our most recent zine that we put out the absence of presence um that one is kind of about a building and so the structure of that zine is kind of like it folds that into like an accordion and so in some way the accordion kind of mimics like the structure of a building mm -hmm. and it kind of lends itself to the story yeah and the accordion fold is such i mean so much of book arts feels architectural mm -hmm. and the accordion fold even more so because it can literally stand up yeah. and you can like walk around it. Yeah, you can kind of like morph it to whatever. Yeah, I think that that is like absolutely a fascinating uh, book structure to use for a story about a building. And can I ask a follow-up about that book? Yeah. Um, that piece is produced by, or the narrative is by a different artist. Mm -hmm. And what's that name? So um, their name is Neil. Okay. And he's based from Scotland. Okay. Yeah. So I guess that's like two questions. One, like how do you uh, select the artists to be working with? I'm gonna turn this into three questions. Two, like um, how uh, how do people find you? And three, um, how does it differ to work with other artists in crafting these books versus producing some of their own stories? So question number one was how did we how do we work with artists? Uh, how do you select artists? Oh, yeah. um, Typically, we just kind of find artists that like whose work we admire, and we'll just like kind of reach out to them online. Oh, okay. Great. And with Neil, we've already kind of had like a previous like a relationship with him already online. So it's just kind of like, hey, like we really love your stuff. Like, do you want to put a book out for us? Yeah, I feel like that's like the best way to yeah. find people. <laughs> But other than that, that's, yeah, we just mainly put out our stuff. And how does it differ working with another artist you're publishing versus uh, crafting these objects for yourself? Um, I think in some ways it's a little bit easier because we're not actually making the art, like drawing it. And so mm -hmm. it kind of cuts out that process. So really, we're just thinking about, okay, how are we going to make this, like, a physical thing and for me that's like easier because I'm just I'm not also like putting out energy 
drawing it and then also, okay, how do I want to present it? Yeah. You can really focus on the form and production. Yeah. And this was easy because he kind of like, he trusted us enough to just let us do like, kind of like what we had a vision for, for his story. Yeah. So that was, that was cool. That's great. Yeah. I saw it on the table. That's coming home with me later. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, Next question is for Strange Lens. Um, I am most familiar with your video and work objects, and of course your character, Goatface. And Goatface lives in an awkward, like, cardboard version of the digital or virtual space. And I feel like Goatface exists to, like, poke fun at or, like, warp non-physical spaces to make them suddenly feel as strange as they truly are. And perhaps Goatface has gained more power as an avatar when the world fell through Zoom to live online for a while. How has this character changed or developed throughout your practice? And now that we're in this like ongoing post-pandemic world, how has Goatface changed uh, in relation to this current moment? Um, Well, thank you for that question, Christopher. And um, let me just, I guess I'll just have to go back and um, the way Goatface was developing in the grad school. uh, Actually, no. the, the character itself was like kind of going in and out before I um, got into grad school. And then uh, we did a performance with uh, um, Andy Mensch, who's not here, who's part of the our printing group, but um, she's not here because she's in Arizona right now. But um, the way it started is that we did a performance, and uh, it was it was mostly it was mostly just. Um, us, us wearing masks and it was all mute, but it was all in the physical space. Yeah. And it was really awkward, like you said earlier, because people didn't know how to really, you know, work with us or, or if like uh, they couldn't have a conversation with us because we're mute. So it's just all miming and people are just like getting really awkward and like. Uh, and to say it for our audience, Andy Land. Andy uh, Land, yes. And, a funny. Andy Land, mask. yes, she is, she's, uh, she's, she's the bunny and, and uh, I'm the goat. Yeah. <laughs> And and then, I will, um, sorry, I will pause for one second yeah. for our at-home audience listening. <laughs> we do have, um, because we are at CHA, which is a public space, it's a public space with a closed door, so you have to buzz the door to get in. So that buzzing that you hear is from uh, audience members coming in. The piano in the background is from piano lessons happening. And the rain and bird songs are because <laughs> it's a rainy day in D.C. But, uh, I, I like that it intensified when uh, when I was talking about Goatface, like the, the piano yeah, yeah, intensified. It, it, I think it kind of threw me, yeah. <laughs> it threw me off a little bit, but like, um, yeah. And uh, what was I saying? Uh, okay, yeah. So there's there's that one where it's completely masked. It's just like this cardboard goat mask. And then there's a different version of Goatface who that which you're talking about, the one that, that the avatar, and and it's it's definitely like an entity which. More, more like a, an extension of me, but just like in that weird internet space because the internet has yeah. become so much more like, you know, like taking over and it's become like such a, almost like another dimension where you get, you know, because everything gets so digitized these days and then like the uh, online identity and like, uh, you know, fake profiles and stuff like that. So that's mostly uh, what this character explores, you know, and, uh, and I mean, there's there's a lot more to it, but um, it's definitely got 
gone well. Uh, I mean, it's it's definitely become more. Um, I don't. I don't even. I, I think like what happened with the COVID. It was like a, it was kind of a premonition because it's yeah. it's funny because like I, I've, right after my MFA show, like my my Instagram account got completely deleted. Like, and I don't know how it happened. And it, that's something that you know that goat face that that work it explores that you know how what happens to these websites that get abandoned and then like deleted yeah, yeah. profiles and what happens with all that information and where it goes. And, and then it, it kind of, it was just like ironic and funny, but kind of pissed me off too, because, yeah. you know, I was gaining followers and then, it's like, uh, yeah, was, I had to start from scratch, but, you know, it's just this weird, like, it's, it's like, it's, it's, it's there, we, we can't see it, but it's definitely there and it has such a immense effect on all of us, you know, with all the apps and all the stuff that's like, you know, we can't really function without it anymore. Yeah, did you ever really get deleted off the internet though? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> Maybe this was an attempt by Zuckerberg to like exercise good face from the system. <laughs> yes, I, I think so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I do like the idea of good face as like a demon just haunting the metaverse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How, how like silly these things are. I know. And isn't, isn't there a term like that in the in like the coding language? Like a, a demon, it's yeah. A, yeah. Or it's spelled like they D A E M O N. So I keep it's, wanting to say Damon. But that's just how my brain says yeah. it. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's like this thing operating in the background that uh, you don't, like the system is not necessarily conscious of. Yeah. Which I think is also a really fun way to think of good face hanging around in the background, like yeah. tearing apart these websites yeah. and like, <laughs> making them all glitchy. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Um, Kate. Next question is for you. <laughs> um, I would describe your practice as meditative, deeply engaged, and dependent on your haptic experience of production. You regularly work with marks that approximate written language that the audience cannot read, but carries with it all of your body's performance of the work across the form. The paper, the book, the scroll, or installation. In this way, I think the books you're showing this weekend can relate almost in a microcosm to the larger ins installations that you've produced, like the show at Hillier. And my apologies for the long preamble. I definitely like wrote all these questions with a big cup of coffee. <laughs> so they, the typing went for me. Um, <laughs> but I'm curious about your thoughts on the book as a performative object. Something that your audience can manipulate and move through and reanimate or if I like completely miss what you're going for. No, that, that's exactly right. Um, I think one of the things that I like to do in my larger pieces and try to make that aspect come out in the books is by having um, audience members kind of manipulate it on their own. Because um, since my my language or my indecipherable signs are my own, they don't really mean anything, it gives audience members kind of um, a chance to look at it as a container for ideas and meaning on their own. And I think providing that kind of playfulness of manipulating the books allows them to connect a little bit more to what I'm doing when I'm actually making the books. Because um, when, when I'm making the books, it's like I'm really focused and engaged on what I'm doing in the moment. And I think I want the viewer to kind of have that same experience when they're changing the shape of the book or turning the page. And since I can't work in like really large spaces anymore, the book becomes that way for me to kind of 
go in there myself and see how I can manipulate the signs and the thread and the pages. Um, yeah, I think the book, even though it's writing that people can't understand it, and it's kind of ironic and funny too, because it's a book, but it's not, you can't read it. It's, you're never going to be able to read it, but you can look at the arrangements and kind of think about your own experience and your connection to language and your experiences with the world around you. Yeah, just think about like the illegibility of it that I think can open up the work so that it's not so focused on like, what does this thing say? I need to read every page. Right. And the, that becomes like a texture that... It's audience... another layer to the work, right? Yeah, yeah. So even though I work in lots of different layers too, it's another thing to build in so you're not stuck on what does it say. It's like, how does it move? How can I manipulate the space of the book when I'm in a smaller space or a more intimate space? And that also like pulls it on into like play. Yeah. Right, which is another way to be to be learning. Right. Yeah. So in the Hillier space, I was trying to create that with kind of like a game where I allowed people to kind of come and move tiles around that were these letters or these signs. Um, so they could kind of think about like, well, how can I arrange these to make this a place where I can think about what's actually here and what's at play while yeah. I'm playing. Yeah. Well, thank you. I want to come, come, there's a few things I do want to come back to okay. later in the conversation, specifically around education and, and the book form. Okay. Um, but I also want to open it up to like, everyone. Yeah. But again, thanks. Chaz, the last pointed question is towards you. Uh, the way you describe the print party, I think, can really highlight the simultaneous public and private spaces of the book object. The reading experience is intensely personal, but I love the idea of social activations of print, and even the word party to describe a curated selection of artist books and publications that can exist temporarily in various spaces adds to that social context that you're developing in the project. I can see each book in itself as an experience that the reader or the audience can have. I can only imagine that curating a set of experiences to bring to a specific venue can be a really fun challenge. How does the location of the venue change your curation of selected books? And to step backwards for a moment, uh, why start a pop-up bookshop project now? Hi, Christopher. Uh, shout out to Muji Pens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love the best pens. The best. Can't write with anything else. Um, yeah, um, maybe, yeah, all of us have kind of dialed back. Uh, I grew up in Pittsburgh. I'm back. I'm, I'm there now. I've lived uh, Boston, New York, but sports uh, has always been uh, my thing, you know, personally and, and professionally. And uh, what Kate said, kind of that performative aspect of, of sports and that um, the excitement of like race day or, or a game, that energy that, that you get with it. Um, you know, I, I felt that I've been doing art book fairs for about a year now, and I, I feel that um, same kind, of, same kind of energy. So while I think we all love private reading and that solitary experience of like reading really good content um, in printed form, um, I, I kind of am channeling that sports enthusiasm that you get on the ball field or track into I kind of um, I try and inject that same you know i think i'm kind of nervous for the art book you know you're nervous on your booth and uh just to get 
you know, get out, uh, and just like selling stuff on the Shopify page. Uh, yeah. So like feeling those butterflies, um, as an adult. Um, so I love that idea of bringing that energy into it because it is being at the book fairs is performative mm-hmm. to degree and you do need to like be present and I'm, I'm not a big sports ball person, even also coming from Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I'm going to mess up all the sports metaphors if I do. But like being on the like on the field and present in there as you're trying to like be with the crowd, mm-hmm. I think it does work really well with uh, with the book fairs. Yeah, and I mean you have to be a good teammate at these fairs, right? Uh, you're you're swapping zines and publications at the end, the sec, you know, on that Sunday. Yeah. yeah. Um, to just be at your table and all about your offering in your stuff uh, can be isolating. And I, I think it's kind of that uh, those horizontal diagonal connections of what, and this is wonderfully hearing about everyone's practice and just yeah. being in that tunnel vision of just about what you're, what's on your table. Um, back to that, we're all kind of in, we're not doing this for, to get rich in the art book fair. This is a, you, we, we, I hope to make like break even, right? For travel, especially coming from out of town. Um, so it's those possible connections uh, for a future collaboration or we met at the Jersey art book fair. Yeah. And if we weren't sharing a table next to one another and actually opened up um, with one another, I, you probably wouldn't have sent that email, um, you know, to, to, to talk on this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that contextuality of, of the location, I think about a lot of, I have this newsstand, um, this big bookshelf, it's, it's maybe uh, eight to nine feet tall. And I tried to, from living in New York, there's, there's actually newsstands still out there. COVID definitely affected that. Um, they're, they're dwindling, um, but in New York, they're still, still somewhat present. And, um, you know, I just, I, I kind of wanted to be able to quickly and nimbly be able to drop it into a coffee shop or doing an art show next month in um, Confluence, PA, which is a small Appalachian town. Yeah. Um, you know, drop it there, drop it in a very, you know, urban, you know, part of Pittsburgh. Um, so just um, being able to uh, travel, travel with. Yeah, I think perhaps obviously for me, like the idea of having a pop-up shop somewhere that's not in the city mm-hmm. is like the most interesting, like having that that travel and confront like a different community who might be like really unaware of what the concept of artist books or like art publications really is. I can only imagine the conversations around that is fascinating. Yeah. Um, yeah, if, it, if it's in a... Sh- coffee shop, you know, especially third wave, which it's been in. I just yeah. took it down this, this week. You know, it's more in that design, uh, not monocle and kinfolk, but kind of that aesthetic. <laughs> um, whereas being in Pittsburgh too, I've had to dial back on kind of uh, slick fashion and architecture magazines. Uh-huh. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah, it's more zine, it's more rust felty. Um, it's more, you know, on, on social justice issues, just knowing, um, just these fancy biannual magazines just didn't, doesn't have an audience and, uh, a very small audience in, in Pittsburgh. 
so it'll be I'll be interested like this weekend in DC it's kind of Pittsburgh and New York kind of DC's kind of in between uh-huh. um, to what publications kind of um, resonate with with the audience here thank you and so I do have a couple questions that is just open to anyone so you don't need to go in order you can just kind of talk as we talk and think about this as a, a gateway to just a more casual conversation. So the first one was about uh, geography and location. And I guess we touched on this a little bit, Chaz, as we were, as you were talking, but the place that you're based in and how it affects your work is something that I'm always curious with and how you interact with your artistic and or publishing communities in your location. Uh, most of us here are located in the DMV, except for Chaz, so we might have similar answers, but I do feel like everyone kind of occupies a different area of publishing or artistic practices. So I, I'm sure that it is fairly varied. But do you have any thoughts on how your local area feeds back into the work that you're doing? Uh, yeah. Okay, this is Kate talking. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, primarily what I'm doing right now is being an educator. Mm-hmm. And so that has a high impact on what I make, what I do. And I was trying to figure out a way where I could link my practice with my students. And um, for me, that was actually teaching them how to make some structures of books um, and getting them to see like art isn't just like a painting or a piece of ceramics or something kind of traditional, but also can be like this this book and with filled with ideas or filled with a theme that's important to them and learning uh, how to manipulate it. And so we do, I encourage my students to like say, hey, let's let's go down this avenue. Let's not just make a sketchbook. Let's make an actual object that you are connected to and that you could share with others. And I think that actually brings them more together. They're more curious about what they're making. They're interested in the stories that they're trying to tell within the books. You know, I get, um, it's almost kind of like they, it gives them another opportunity to feel like they can make something a little bit more quickly and have a little bit more um, confidence to go out and try other areas instead of just seeing art as one thing or another or a skill that they're just walking away with. Um, So for me, taking that back home, I try to work a little bit in front of them. I try to find my little corner of my basement to work from <laughs> um, and and pretty much say, hey, you can make art in any kind of space with any kind of materials, whatever you have. And I think a book is a good way to, to capture that. Yeah, as an educator, I absolutely agree with everything you said. <laughs> yeah. I do think that it, it has this really powerful way of opening up uh, all these different processes for students, especially like younger students who might only really encounter books as uh, like produced objects, mass produced. Or for information or like yeah, an academic yeah. textbook or, yeah, I mean, it also gives them a chance to make their own personal experience come, come alive, to, yeah. to make it shareable. Yeah, and I also feel like for like older students, the art book object can also open up different possibilities for what art can be. Because mm-hmm. Once you leave elementary school and high school, you're thinking of art very much as a gallery thing. Yeah. And the book form is different. Yeah, and I think also having them, like doing the quick zines, 
like we can make copies of them and you can make them shareable and you can collect them and then you're all of a sudden well, why do you want to collect something and why do you want to share something and what makes you kind of like a connoisseur of what what aesthetic you like yeah. and you're kind of teaching it to them but they don't really they're kind of engaging with the idea of well why why should i want this or what decisions can i make to make this more presentable to people or how can i share this thought in these pages that that are just like in this little little space and not on a wall like you don't have to be on a wall to be an artist yeah right? yeah I, that must be a really fun classroom day when they're all making their yeah. zines and passing them around yeah yeah it's like a good celebration you know yeah until glue gets involved. Until glue gets involved. Until glue gets yeah. involved. <laughs> no glitter. Yeah. I, I hope you carry that hard oh, and fast yeah. rule with Do. you. Yeah. I get the question up and I'm like, no, no, there's no glitter in here. Yeah. <laughs> Any other thoughts on geography and or like location and how that affects the work? I can do this like a classroom and rock and I'm going to call on you. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I feel that like, so um, we're pretty much like homebodies. So we don't really like go out or like find ways to connect with other artists in the local area besides like going to zine fest and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I think most of our work then is we present it online. And so we kind of, um, kind of built like an online community instead of like people that are near us geographically. Yeah. No, I think that's that's great. And like online is also a space as strange lines can tell us. Yeah, and especially like our third friend Janet, she's actually now based in the West Coast. So. Oh, we're really where where at? LA. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so very, very different space. Yeah, so now we're kind of like forced to, you know, work together online. That, how's that experience? Because you can see how that can be very fun, but also just difficult if the person that you're working with can't just go to Staples and buy some paper really yeah. fast for you. Um, well, we haven't figured that out yet because it's been pretty, a new development. So okay. I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> Great for our next uh, panel discussion. <laughs> um, Jazz, you've like moved around to a few different places. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned doing the uh, the sports book publication or project in New York. Mm -hmm. um, but how has like moving to different cities affected the work that you've been doing? Um, yeah, I was thinking about this question that you sent us this morning about well, maybe what was the impetus or that um, catalytic moment that got yeah. us into. One of them for me was I was living in Boston working for a um, tech startup, and um, being in Boston, it's it's all about Tom Brady and sorry to go back to sports, <laughs> but I was looking I on the side I had this uh, site that was a is a kind of an Etsy for weird sports things you know artistic and posters and prints just with more of a handmade aspect to it and. I wanted to get away from all the Boston gear. And the more I dug online, I realized there were these interesting sport uh, magazines and titles out there, or zines. So I kind of started going down that path and any internet rabbit hole, you realize there's a lot, there's way more out there once you start doing your research. 
So part of that research, I noticed in um, New York, um, there's a niche you can find a niche. A niche can find their home for a lot of things in New York. Yeah. There was a food book fair. Okay, so I went down to that uh, while still living in Boston, and I thought if they can have a food book fair, you know, a book fair just for a specific category or industry, um, why can't it be for for kind of the sport and athletic community? Yeah. So that's what um, I talked to the organizers of that. Um, so that's what kind of led me to believe in the sport. Um, so that was a starting point. Um, and then also on the geographic and location, um, we're starting a Pittsburgh Art Book Fair um, this fall. And it's just been interesting um, once you kind of put yourself out there that you're going to do this. You know, here you're from the area as well learning about your projects and you really unravel once you all of us once you kind of put your project out in the world and make it external yeah. and socialize it um stuff does start to come your way and so I, we're trying to serve the pittsburgh community because to go do printed matter in new york or come down here is cost prohibitive or intimidating for a lot of folks so we want to kind of be a nice starting point for people to test out the art book fair yeah. world, um, not have to travel, um, be around some of their peers, feel comfortable in their home city to present, um, and then kind of graduate and try out these, the Capital Art Book Fair and kind of these other larger, um, larger fairs. That's so great. I'm so excited for the Pittsburgh Book Fair, and I'll be asking plenty of questions about that as we get closer to the, the actual like, production of it. Yeah. Um, but. You did touch on like the second like general question that I wanted to ask you all, which was just like how you got into into books or how did this start to make sense for you to have publications as as a way to put your work out there or to work with publications in general? What's your like book origin story? Oh, this is for everyone. <laughs> this is for yeah, for everyone. But but I am looking at you. Okay. Um. <laughs> Um, I, I think the very first book that I ever um, created and published, I only have like two copies. It's actually in the in the fair. It's just one um, sample that you, you yeah. can purchase online. But um, it's uh, I think it was back in 2019, and I don't know what made me do it because I was I never thought about making art or photography books. But um, I think it was because it was something that had to do with like um, it, um, when I was visiting my childhood home. Uh, in the old country, um, it was a very depressing time. But um, I just kind of spent the whole time uh, documenting the space there, uh, and it's like a, it's it's like a, this surreal narrative. And so, something just made me want to like publish it because I think it's like a way of getting over it. Because I had like a weird like, like attachment to it because it's like a childhood home and it, it was like a safe space, but it's not anymore. Um, so. Yeah, I think that that was the first time, and um, that was the very first book I did. And then the second one um, that we have now, uh, this is a collective uh, that we did with Kate and Jorge, who's not here, and Andy, who's not here. Um, and that one is more like a collective uh, work. So I guess there's different reasons, but um, yeah, I was, it's just an impulse most of the time. But, I, I think I enjoy it a lot because it's, it's, it's like I think somebody said that when you're when you're putting something in the, in the book, it's like you're, you're writing history down, and it's like you're 
validating that this happened. Like, I'm not crazy. This is actually happening. Yeah. <laughs> you know? does, does that make sense? Or? Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I think all that <laughs> makes perfect sense. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyone else have a book origin story? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I guess I started making books kind of around the same time, like when I took your class, Christopher. And um, one of the first books that I made was actually using like the maps that were, that I was using kind of as drop cloths to catch all the paint that was coming off the wall. And I thought, I was like, wow, that's, that is kind of like capturing what happened. It's a, a record of what happened on the wall and what's fallen off the wall. So I made a book and then I started thinking about how I need, like part of my practice has kind of disappeared because of time and family and all the reasons. But I think books could give me another opportunity just to keep the practice up, but also um, find a way to work through ideas that maybe could become larger ideas at some point. Yeah, I, mean, I, I do love that idea of the book almost as like a mini model of something that can expand into greater space. Yeah. yeah. Two more people on the panel before we open this up to audience questions, if you want to answer. Well, I guess ours is, so Carolyn and I used to work together and in 2018, which was when we started Late Comeback. And we were in accounting at that time, so not very like exciting <laughs> work. Um, but yeah, so we worked together and we were like, hey, let's just start this thing so we could get like our creative juices out there. And we actually applied to DC Zine Fest and ended up getting in. And then we were like, oh, now we really have to make something. <laughs> and then, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's great. And DC Zine Fest is an awesome yes, it event is. occasion. <laughs> mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm glad that forced you to make something. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, Chaz, do you have anything to add? Because we, we did talk a little bit about your book origin story, so I don't want to... Yeah, I don't want to. I already, already answered, so I don't want to... <laughs> All right, cool. Grant the mic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, well then, um, throughout our conversation, as the bell ringing has indicated, we have grown an audience here for this conversation, and I'm sure some people in the audience have some very amazing questions for us. Yeah, oh, <laughs> Harry. Uh, so from my perspective, like I kind of see zines as these self-produced, like easily accessible, like just a way to get your idea out there. Could you talk a little bit about how you produce your zines? This is just for anyone. So like from like an online space to like working with your students, like it's completely different, you know? Yeah, um, so with my students, I mean, it's an assignment, right? So they have to come up with kind of like a theme and do some sketching and some pre-idea making. Um, but I usually try to have them do like one of those one pagers, right? And so they're easy, producible. Um, we try to keep it simple, like, um, color combinations and design. Um, but then once they have the idea, they can pretty much just um, choose a medium to create it on that one sheet of paper and they fold it and then we make copies of it and we deliver it around the school. <laughs> um, and it's fun, right? It's quick, it's simple, it's easy, it's accessible. 
And that's definitely the main point of a zine. And for me, I mean, I kind of like to experiment with different kinds of papers on my own and, and layering of um, like almost like vellums and things like just to see what kind of paper I can push the medium in on my own practice. But yeah, any, I always tell them, I'm like, you can make zines out of anything, anything that's at your, within your hands. Yeah, uh, well, just since you looked at me and said something about internet, <laughs> it, it does, uh, uh, like I mentioned before, I think it's mostly comes to uh, an impulse, like I have an idea, or, or maybe I go through my old photographs and I see that there's like a, a project that could be made into a zine or a book or something like that, so, or like a performative aspect, like a, something I did in the past, uh, yeah. Or, or, or places that, you know, you just go for a drive and then all of a sudden you see all these things. And, or, or based on dreams, because my work is a lot to do with dreams, so it just describes like a specific dream or something like that. So. Yeah. started with that one book that was like Dropbox of maps and I really liked the using a certain structure it was like Turkish map fold structure and I just really liked the way it could move and to connect the pieces together you could use um, I, and I just decided to kind of explore that through um, a lot of drawings that I had already done and see how they connect to make a new piece a new structure um, and I just found connected to it because you could expand on the idea, you could expand how many pages you used, um, sizes, I think those were the things that kept me going. I said, wow, I kind of like this basic structure, how can I make, manipulate the structure a little bit more to expand on my own ideas more? Um, have you seen that the books you've made, oh yeah, for sure. I think there's certain elements that repeat each other. Um, so for example, like, um, when you walk over there, you can see like they all have certain elements that it's stuck with. So they just sort of want to Yeah, definitely. That is something that somebody pointed out about specifically your books, Kate, is kind of how it kind of reveals a lot about your painting practice in terms of layout and structure, right? And so um, just kind of be somebody who has kind of been in your studio, especially if you're going through grad school, kind of like seeing how you're working with either layering or kind of extracting away from those layers. And seeing how that spreads out into a book form using different like transparent materials or films and things like that. And so um I, I mean I think it's kind of how I respond to your book, kind of like this like revealing of process that like you wouldn't really see as much in a very large book canvas that you exhibited at different galleries in the region. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> Jen. No, no, thank you for saying that. I think sometimes I discount those things. Like I don't really I just do them and I don't really like I kind of, not that I move on, but like I always, I make a piece and then I feel like any of the larger scale pieces or the smaller scale pieces become kind of like, I'm almost creating my own through line through all the different practices, but they're all connected in some way. And so they all reveal a process along the way. That makes sense, but yeah. How long did it take you to see that? Um, I, I mean, 
I think that's the way I work, right? Like I'm, I'll make something, right? And then I'll figure out what ideas I learned about that mm -hmm. on my own. And then the next thing I make is, is different, but you can see the connection of certain elements coming through in each way. So I think it's just one of those ongoing artistic practices that you just kind of like, huh, I'm seeing them, how they're all connected. Yeah. The last one forms the next one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stephanie. Yeah, so during this conversation in pretty much any workspace, you hear this interchangeable zine or this book. So I'm interested how you all think about them next. And I don't really need to have like zine and book are really sensible <laughs> as yeah. terms. But when you're thinking about this process and making things like maybe the question was how is something a zine or how is something a book? Because those words have written histories and meanings for different things. Um, so what are you thinking about when you And if I can expand on that as well, so there's like the zine versus book definitions as producers, but also as someone like showing these publications mm -hmm. to an audience, like how do you categorize them or separate them out if you do? Um, and this is now open for everyone. I, I guess I, um, originally with this book that we have right now, it was supposed to be a zine, but it turned out to be a hundred page book <laughs> because there's a lot of content there's four of us you know and I just couldn't it there's so much good work there that um so yeah that changes because of the the content and the um so I mean sometimes it's just not meant to be a zine <laughs> yeah I've found uh, a kind of um contrast of some re some recent projects, um, the Miller ICA is a contemporary art gallery at Carnegie Mellon. We're going to do uh, they have an annual exhibition. We're curating a show or a um, a print offering. An artist book is definitely the term that they want to hear. So just knowing the audience, um, but kind of the students, zines is gets them more excited. Um, whereas I said that. Appalachian Gallery. I'm going to use um, zine more often through the description. Um, so that's um, that's been definitely a duality that um, that I found. Like contemporary art seems more artist book. Zine is on campus, right, and in the classroom. And, yeah. Yeah, I feel like same. Like if I hear like artist book or whatever. I kind of associate that more with like coffee table books, like things that look a little bit, you know, like more for aesthetics. And then whereas zines are kind of more with like the DIY vibes. And a little, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have time for one more question from the audience, if anyone has it, and then we're gonna have to get out of here so that you know. No? Well, thank you so much for being part of this. Uh, it was really wonderful talking to all of you. Um, uh, I can with you guys and what you're producing. And again, like everyone here at this panel is part of the Council of Hill, our local Council of Hill, there.
So...